Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome to Better, Faster, Further's inaugural podcast. I guess that's what we call these things. It's got the video, the audio, and all the good stuff. I am staring right now at my colleague, Adam Odosky. Adam, how are you? I'm good, Regan. Good to see you. Uh, you as well. Where are you? I am in beautiful Salida, Colorado. Sunny day out there? Partly cloudy, but mostly, yeah, I mean, there's some sun, but partly cloudy. Awesome. I am Regan Bach, one of the co-founders and managing partners of Better Faster Further. I am located in Marin County in uh, the Bay Area in California, and it's another beautiful day here. We, we have many of those out here, and it's a, it's a good reason to live here. Um, I originally am from Colorado, so very near and dear to my heart and uh, excited to kind of get into some of that history and such. But um, given this is our first take at a podcast, wanted to at least take some time and um, share a bit of the origin story of why we're here, what we're doing, what Better Faster Further is and isn't, and get some introductions to some of the core team members, and then really kind of roll up the sleeves and, and do a deeper dive into a topic that both Adam and I and Better Faster Further are really passionate about, which is this notion of kind of overcoming adversity and facing challenges and kind of seeking them out in many ways and, and the benefits uh, that come from that, both mentally, physically, spiritually, whatever it may be. Um, so very excited to do that. And we've got some big events coming up for some of our team members that will help uh, serve as a backdrop for that. So um, anything else to add just to that kind of setting of the stage, Adam? No, I think, I mean, it's, it's a great topic. I mean, given the, the way the world is right now and what's going on, you know, politically, economically, socially, I think this is a great place to start. I agree. I agree. Well, uh, let me grab the baton just for a little bit and uh, give a little bit of the, the better, faster, further kind of origin story and a little bit of background about myself. So um, I grew up in Colorado. I was born in Grand Junction, Colorado, uh, very quickly moved to a very small town uh, called Uray. It's known as the uh, the uh, Switzerland of America or something like that, but it was an awesome spot to grow up. It was, I think like 500 people at the time grew up skiing on a rope toe and all that good stuff. And then, uh, at the beginning of my third grade year, we moved to the big city of Durango, Colorado, which I think at that point had 12,000 people in it, but it had traffic lights and such. Um, mom was a school teacher. Dad was a, uh, was a home builder. He was a general contractor and, you know, pretty much every home we ever lived in has been in some way, shape or form under construction. Um, and, uh, we didn't grow up with a lot of money, but where, when we did have money, our version of a good time was taking trips, lots of road trips, lots of travels. Um, I graduated high school in Australia. My brother lived in Spain for a few years. So we, we really got out there and it was kind of definitely helped shape my worldview. Um, I wore a lot of different hats growing up, but, um, you know, in my, I think I was about 19 or 20 at one point, my younger brother, Jamie came home. He was working at a whitewater store and showed up with a kayak and, uh, where we grew up, we live literally on the shores of a river. Um, and he was like, Regan, check this out. And he paddles out in the middle of the river, rolls over and then like rolls back up. And I just thought it was the coolest thing. And uh, he and I and Adam and others um, ended up kayaking hot and heavy for a good decade through our 20s in Colorado. And, um, you know, through that time, uh, did some travels to New Zealand, 
Australia, was really into rock climbing. Like our version of, you know, uh, living a rich life in Colorado is how many toys you own and how many different sports you can get after. So you go to any of our friends or family's houses and throw up the garage door, you're going to see rafts and kayaks and motorbikes and snowboards and skis and like four different kinds of bikes um, and probably tents and a camping trailer all in the same time. And it's like, which event are we going to go do? Uh, was that true for you once you were you were out there, Adam? 100%. I mean, it's, it was the draw to Colorado as well. We had a, I had a good friend in high school. I grew up in Atlanta and I had a good friend in high school and he got a puppy while we were in high school. And we actually named this puppy Colorado because we knew... Oh, we, yeah, we, we knew we were headed west as soon as we graduated. That's awesome. I actually remember the day that I saw Adam Odosky pull up into Colorado, into Durango. Um, I was working at Four Corners River Sports, the, that same store that Jamie was at. And you and, I'm forgetting the other gentleman's name, rolled out of a VW bus. You had long hair. I think you literally had a Grateful Dead tie-dye t-shirt on. And, and, and you were full on. It was great. But we've kind of been tight friends ever since. But I like have that mental picture in my head to this day. <laughs> yep, yep. That, that'll be part of my background story for sure. Talking about how we rolled into Durango. It was, it was comical. I mean, we were a stereotype for sure. It was awesome. Well, stereotypes for a reason, but um, yeah. yeah, it's been great. So Adam and I have known each other for a very long time. Um, I'm 47 right now and have moved out to the Bay Area, gosh, 16, 18 years ago. Uh, my dad uh, grew up in San Francisco. My mom was from Denver. Um, I, I'm a fifth generation Colorado kid, so some pretty deep roots in Colorado. So I never thought I'd, I'd move anywhere. Um, cause, uh, Durango and the mountains are just part of my DNA, but, um, I am married with three kids. Um, I've got a, um, freshman in high school daughter. Um, I have a seventh grade daughter and I have a third grade boy. So, uh, full house and, uh, never a dull moment in the, in the Bach household, but absolutely love it. Um, and my wife is from Marin County. So we're really close to her family as well, which is great just to have that support here. Um, you know, after kind of our kayaking career, if you will, you know, I loved the competitive nature of it. I loved kind of the, the training and, and really deep down, we were just kind of dirt bags looking for a good excuse to be sponsored and travel and, 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 and compete. And, but we would search out waterfalls and class five rapids. And you learn a lot when you're staring over the lip of a big waterfall, you learn a lot about the strength of your team when kind of shit hits the fan. You learn a lot about trying to do your best and be right on that edge of kind of control and out of control. And then you learn a lot about, you know, getting saved and saving people. We have had, you know, I think I've had 12 to 15 really good friends pass away in avalanches or kayaking accidents, um, just kind of extreme sports stuff. Um, and it really does come with the territory, but that, that was another, you know, my, my world travels and then the, the, the deaths and near deaths of um, so many people in our community is just an eye opener. I still get phone calls from my family. And I'll be like, uh Oh, like, who was it? And they're like, Oh no, I'm just calling for your birthday. I'm like, Oh, thank you. <laughs> so, um, and I, I, Adam, I know that, you know, some of those folks as well, but that, you know, that was pivotal. And through that kayaking career, you know, the competitive nature, the, the kind of coaching nature, the camaraderie, the challenge that comes with just, you know, doing your best and sometimes making it and sometimes failing and oftentimes with life or death kind of consequences was, was very, very informative. Um, and out of that, a lot of our friends, you know, we would start to do very remote activities. We would 
take helicopters in New Zealand to the top of glaciers and then kayak down into the ocean by the afternoon. We would do overnight trips. We would hike for miles trying to get into places. We would explore what we would call first descents, you know, sections of rivers or, or, or waterfalls or rapids. I've never been, never been uh, kayaked or run before. So super exciting. But with that, you're exposed. There's a lot of injuries. There's a lot of concussions. There's a lot in, in kayaking, at least there's a lot of um, dislocated shoulders and things like that. So we had to learn how to be really self-sufficient. And almost every person that we hung out with was an EMT, wilderness first responder, um, or just kind of a badass at being out there in nature because you're doing a lot of camping and just self-sufficiency stuff. So that was another just really pivotal kind of informative piece of, of my and, and our upbringing in nature, outdoor activities, extreme sports, and that camaraderie and kind of challenge that comes with all of it. Um, fast forward to my late 20s, and I knew I wanted to do something professionally and hadn't really figured that out and hadn't really sunk my teeth into it. Um, but I had a friend, uh, his name is Chris Tobin. Uh, he's still a good buddy, lives in San Francisco. Uh, he was finishing his PhD in organizational psychology, and I, I really didn't even know that was a thing. And the more I scratched at that and kind of chatted with him and others, the more I realized, like, holy cow, there's this whole field of science that studies how people organize um, in hospitals and schools and nonprofits and business. And I, I instantly fell in love with it. And uh, I dove headfirst into grad school and planned on getting a PhD and kind of following in, in Chris's footsteps. And um, I had already gotten my master's in that and uh, was getting ready to kind of make the push into the PhD land. And I got recruited to an executive coaching firm in San Francisco. Um, the, the firm is called Mariposa Leadership. And the founder of that is this woman named Sue Bethanis. Um, great lady, um, professional, hardworking, very direct uh, but she she taught me a lot. And her and um, some of the folks on her team, Tweese and Dell and others, um, threw me in the deep end and really taught me everything I know at, at an early stage. So we were coaching executives at LinkedIn and eBay and PayPal and Google and biotech companies and Facebook. And uh, it was fantastic. And I went in kind of just saying yes to everything. I, I, I would do trainings. I would do coaching. I would do facilitation. And um, learned a ton, but what was missing for me was what I went to grad school for was kind of the org psychology piece, the org development, kind of looking at the systems and the culture and the macro piece. I was doing a lot of kind of individual or small group training. And in my blissful ignorance, I decided to uh, start my own consulting company that kind of wed that individual one-on-one -on -one high touch leadership development and coaching piece with kind of the macro systems org-wide kind of cultural components and um, have never looked back. So, uh, you know, during that transition, continued to partner intimately with Subathanis and Mariposa Leadership. Uh, they are still good friends of mine and a tight partner um, and had worked for them as an employee directly for about five years, I think. And then we partnered and collaborated for years after that. Um, but started my own company and um, you know, during that time, I had, uh, through Mariposa, done some work at Zynga and was introduced to Louis Selencourt, um, who at the time was the COO of Zynga. And for those of you that don't know, Zynga at the time was a really fast-paced uh, rocket ship of a company in the gaming space. 
Um, they were using the Facebook platform for social gaming and it was just huge. They were just in the apex of that kind of window of, of opportunity and they were growing quickly. And through Mariposa leadership, we were running coaching programs and training programs there. But um, Louis Selencourt picked me up, picked me out of a lineup and said, I wanted to work with this clown over here. And um, little did we know that that would kind of over years kind of blossom into both a friendship and a professional partnership. Um, so after I had kind of left Mariposa leadership and, and had done my kind of my own stand-up consulting through Iron Tree Consulting, um, Louis a while later had decided that he had been in the, the trenches of the corporate world for a long time. He's always been a CEO and a COO. He's, a, he's an operator by trade. He's an engineer by, by background. And it's just worn a lot of different hats. So um, at some point soon, we will have Louis on here to kind of do his own introduction. But he grew up in London, very passionate soccer or football fan. Um, Tottenham Hotspur happens to be both his and my favorite teams, go Coys. Um, but uh, is a heavy operator. And I am all about kind of the people and the leadership and the culture and the communications. And that proved to be a very powerful combination. Um, so once he decided to leave Zynga in kind of that professional corporate world. Um, over time, I brought him in on a couple projects to kind of advise on some operational components and, and it just went really well. He was adding a lot of value. Clients were really enjoying it and I was enjoying the time with him. Um, and I think he was pleasantly surprised that there were actually people out there that loved and would pay for the fact that he would just show up and give advice. And they were like frantically scribbling notes like, that's brilliant. I mean, why haven't I thought of that? And he's just like, dude, I do this every day. So it's been like eating breakfast for him. But, um, you know, whatever it was, a year or two later, he and I joined forces and started what is now Better, Faster, Further. And um, Better, Faster, Further is, is, is really just a culmination of our backgrounds, that heavy operations and goal setting and strategic work. Um, if you want to climb Everest, Louis will get you to the summit of Everest. Uh, he will plant that flag. Uh, historically, there may have been dead bodies on the way up and the way down, but you would have gotten the flag to the top. And at the time, that was what doing a good job looked like for Louis. For me, I my you know in my world, I might not have been able to get the team to the summit and planted the flag, but we would have had a really tight team on the way up, and maybe we made it to the Hillary step and made the summit push. But but together, that partnership was was very powerful. So better, faster, further is. Uh, you know, uh, uh, a marriage of heavy operations and, and people, kind of the process and the people. And we work on goal setting, strategic work, operational efficiency, and we also do individual coaching and training. We develop high-performing teams. And at the end of the day, where our passion lies is just helping teams and companies scale. And that means different things for different people. And because of that, we get to work with some of the most amazing leaders and companies there are, both big companies and publicly traded companies and small five-person startups that are just doing groundbreaking work. Um, I am one of those guys that just wakes up every day and loves what he does. It doesn't feel like work. And it sounds cheesy and cliche to say that, but it's true. Um, if I didn't have a family, I would work more and, and be okay with that. I'm thankful that I do. They give me a good excuse to kind of turn it off, but I, that's how passionate I am. Uh, I love nothing more than waking up and helping leaders become better leaders, teams become high-performing teams, and, and helping organizations kind of figure their shit out and connect the dots so that they can grow or um, in, in the ways that they uh, that they want. And because of that, we have to wear a lot of different hats. We do 
coaching, training, facilitation, strategic works, uh, operational work, third-party offshore development support, heavy engineering, CTO advisory services, um, whatever it may be. And that does not mean that we are everything to everyone, but it definitely means that we wear a lot of different hats. And because of that, our team is very diverse. Um, so I'd love to hand it over to you, Adam. You've been You've been silent while I rant about our company, which I'm very passionate about, but I'd, I'd love to just give you some space to kind of, A, introduce yourself and maybe share what, what attracted you to, to, to us and vice versa and, and give a little background and, and then we'll potentially introduce Louie and um, Lou a little bit more and then get into the get into the muck on the uh, adversity piece. You bet, Regan. Um, well, hey, everybody. I'm Adam. I'm part of the core team at Better, Faster, Further. Uh, my official title, for what it's worth, although I'm not big on titles, is Senior Leadership Advisor. But as Regan mentioned, you wear a lot of a lot of hats at BFF. So, you know, one day I may be a coach. The other day I may be supporting Regan or Louie or Lou in an operational effort. You know, it, it could be a variety of things. But um, I guess where to start? Let, I, I suppose we should go back to the beginning. So I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, although Atlanta is a great place, I never felt a, a strong connection to the Southeast. I always, from a young age, knew I wanted to be, uh, it, you know, surrounded by big mountains. You know, my dad uh, taught me to kayak from a very early age. I think he made me my first fiberglass boat when I was seven. Um, and and from there, was, the rest was history. I mean, I w we were on the river almost every weekend. It was either on the river in the mountains or soccer tournaments. I mean, that was my childhood. And growing up in Atlanta, we spent a lot of time in Western North Carolina, uh, kayaking and exploring the Smokies and, you know, doing all the fun stuff outside. And uh, throughout high school, I sort of got into rebuilding old VWs with a good friend of mine named Scott, who Regan was talking about earlier. And we decided, I don't know, we were maybe sophomores in high school. We thought, okay, let's rebuild an old bus, an old VW bus. Let's go cruise around the East Coast. We knew we weren't going to go to college right out of high school let's, or, or maybe at all. We weren't sure. Uh, let's go cruise around the East Coast, visit friends who are off to college for the first time, and then let's head west and let's find a place to live in the west. And so that's what we did. We rebuilt a, what year was that thing? 1970 VW bus, I think. Top to bottom. I mean, complete overhaul. Um, well, I mean, the thing is, we didn't do a great job because we broke down in Farmington, New Mexico, outside of Durango, and that's how we ended up there. But we'll get there in a second. Uh, but nonetheless, we rebuilt this old bus. We took off on this massive road trip with Scott, myself three or four kayaks on the roof, mountain bikes, two dogs, everything all in this, in this little VW bus. And we took off and uh, we toured around the East Coast. We visited friends. We went to some dead shows. As Regan mentioned, I probably showed up in Colorado for the first time wearing a tie-dye dead t-shirt. Uh, you definitely did. You definitely did. Long hair, you know, down to my waist. Um, and we showed up in Colorado, full stereotype, you know, jeans, you know, let's go skiing and jeans and, and uh, wool sweaters. I mean, two, two kids straight out of the Southeast that, you know, knew nothing about what a real winter looked like or, or how to actually be prepared in a, in a real wilderness environment. But it was a lot of fun. And uh, as Regan mentioned, uh, we walked into Four Corners River Sports one day and I met Regan and I met Regan's younger brother, Jamie. And, and the rest is history. I mean, that was coming up on 30 years ago. Uh, just That's the amazing. I know. It's crazy. It's um, and, you know, from there, it was, it was basically six years in Durango. I mean, I, we kayaked just about every day of the year. I mean, through the winter, um, yep. through the summer, through the spring, lots of traveling, lots of competing, um, you know, lots of exploration. It was, it was good times. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of lessons learned. You know, 
those are in the, in the formative years, you know, when we were, you know, sort of like late teens, so 18, 19, 20, early twenties. So a lot of those lessons were learned then, but not realized until later in life, like the value of commitment and, um, you know, not hesitating. Um, you know, when you, when you know, you're going after something like commit 100% and go for it with everything you've got. And, you know, as Regan mentioned about, you know, waterfalls and, and such, you know, the hesitation piece or the question marks in your head, that's when things went wrong. And that's when you got into trouble. Um, so after Durango, uh, I wasn't, I don't, I'm not quite sure why I ever left Durango cause I loved every minute of living there, but nonetheless, I, um, got a job up in Aspen as a sales guy for a staffing company. And I, I went to this staffing company. I moved to Aspen, well, I actually moved to Carbondale, but I worked in Aspen. And after a year, uh, the, it, this, this particular staffing company was owned by a venture group. And after a year, they decided to replace the original founders with a new CEO. And they said to me, do you want to be the CEO of this company? I was like, well, I have no idea how to be a CEO, but if I have access to you guys um, and your team, then sure, why not? Let's do it. And they said, great. And they gave me an office in their office. So I was working in and amongst these uh, former CEOs and CEOs and founders of these big technology companies that had, had done really well and they'd become very successful. They now had a venture fund. And um, what that gave me was direct access to a lot of years of experience. And we did that together for about four, four and a half years. And we grew the company tremendously. And I thought to myself, you know what? This was pretty easy. Uh, not that the job was easy, but like finding the job and like landing on two feet and, and getting this great opportunity, that was easy. That's probably a repeatable process. So I'm going to leave and I'm going to go travel around the world and see what's out there. And I did that. And I left the country with a one-way ticket to Australia. And I showed up again in the U.S. a year or so later, maybe more, a year and a half later, after traveling all over the world. And turns out I couldn't find a job. You know, the, the economic conditions were totally different and I couldn't find a job. And so uh, I took the, the knowledge that I learned at the staffing company and the knowledge that was shared with me from this venture group. And I started my first company. And it was manufacturing based in Indonesia and a gallery based in, in Carbondale, so just outside of Aspen. And the whole foundation of this was responsible business practice, sustainable social development, sustainable products, things of that nature. And um, that was it. I mean, that, that, that was it. That was the first of five different businesses. And they were all, they were all small, but we went on to, um, you, you, know, I, you know, my timing was good and my timing was terrible with each one of the businesses. Each one I faced, you know, you pick, pick the issue, pick the challenge, pick the adversity, you know, pick the thing that can go wrong. And I've lived it, you know, I've, I've lived, every, you know, maybe not every single one, but I've lived a lot of the pinnacle issues that people are, are uh, trying to avoid in business. Um, but it's been a wonderful experience. And after I transitioned my last business uh, at the peak of COVID, which was a beer business, uh, I decided, you know, you know, sort of reflection, natural reflection point, I was thinking to myself, well, what am I, what am I going to do next? What do I want to do next? Um, and it wasn't this calm, by the way, I was like freaked out because the world was shutting down and I was like, what am I going to do next? So, you know, holy shit. Um, but nonetheless, I settled on, on working with people, with coaching, with consulting, with developing organizations or teams or, or individuals. And so I called Regan and I said, Regan, this is what I'm thinking about doing because I knew he had better, faster, further. And I asked him if he would be my mentor, um, as I, as I got this off the ground. And uh, Regan shared with me a couple of schools of, you know, coaching programs I could attend. I, I did some other research, reached out, reached out to some other people, and I settled on a coaching program that took a little over a year to go through, uh, through, the, through CTI, which is 
the um, Coach Training Institute. I think it's one of the oldest um, coach training programs in the U.S. Yeah, it's actually and, based in uh, San Rafael out here in Marin. Yeah, it is. Yep. And, you know, my whole program was remote at the time because it was, um, you know, it was during COVID and everything had shut down. But it was a, it was a wonderful program where I got to meet amazing people. And um, I, I learned more about myself in this process than, than maybe I bargained for. But Regan was there. Um, we would meet once or twice a month through that year process. And uh, Regan actually helped me um, sort of orchestrate or architect my, my coaching and consulting practice, which is called Elevation Theory. And I got a couple of clients, you know, a handful of clients, both in business and in individuals. And we started working. And then one day I called Regan and I said, you know, I kind of want to do the thing and not build the thing. After five businesses, I kind of just want to do it. And uh, do you do you have any recommendations? And you know, more or less, Regan said, "Well, let, let me talk to let me talk to the team, and, and I'll get back to you." And so he came back and said, "Well, how about um, any interest in, in doing some project by project work with us?" And I said, "Absolutely." And, and you know that that was basically you know the rest was history. We started doing some project by project work, and then you know one thing led to another, and, and here we are as you know full time member of the core staff. Um, but within, within this process, you know, it all smout, saw, sounds smooth and, and, um, you know, without its rocky waters, but believe me, there was, um, but in this process, right before my daughter was born, I, you know, as, as we talked about earlier, I live in Salida, Colorado with my wife and our almost five-year-old daughter and our dog. Uh, I started, we got our dog, uh, I don't know, so eight or nine years ago. And I, the intention then was to mountain bike with her a lot and, you know, where we lived at the time, there's a lot of rattlesnakes and a lot of people. And so it wasn't really a conducive environment for biking. So we started running um, because I could run with her on a leash and keep an eye on the snakes and keep her on the trail next to me. And therein lies the, the blossoming of a, an interest in ultra racing or, or longer distance trail racing. I started running and running more and running more and running more. I've always loved outdoor sports. You know, it was kayaking, you know, it was rock climbing. It was now it's also, you know, it's ultra racing. It's whatever. It's, I just love to be outside and you know, with an explorer's mindset. And, um, so here we are, you know, and that I, I ran my first ultra race when my, the year my daughter was born. So let's just say sleep deprivation as a new dad is a great training tool for, for business, for, for ultra racing, for, for anything in life. Um, but that was sort of part of the, part of the process, you know, part of the tools that I use to evolve as a, as a person, as a coach, as a consultant, you know, some of that adversity or, or working with challenge or, or dealing with emotions that maybe in earlier years may have been suppressed, you know, like fear um, or uh, anxiety or what have you. And, and, you know, you sort of face those things in, you face them in, in, in business, certainly you face them in life every day. Um, turns out long distance trail running, it has a great way of putting them right in front of you um, in, in a situation where you'd least expect it or least want it to show up. And, and therefore you get better at, if you're open to it, you get better at dealing with it. And so, you know, part of this discussion we may have today around adversity and challenge and, you know, the unknown is, has been really long distance trail running has been a great practice for me to, um, to develop those, those skills and the, those, the mindset needed, uh, to deal with those things in life. But anyway, that's my background. Um, here we are today. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I, I have many a story uh, about kind of spending time in Durango and elsewhere with Adam. He's been a good friend of my brother and lived in Golden as well. And so we've got kind of 
tentacles all over um, Colorado. Um, and uh, again, right now, uh, Adam, you are in Salida, Colorado. So just give people a sense of like where it is and like what's outside the door there. You bet. So the office in my office in our house is in, is in a loft and I have windows all around and I can look out and on the, on the West side, I see the Sawatch range and the Southern collegiate peaks on the, on the East side or Southeast side, I see Browns Canyon national monument. And then, you know, directly South, I see uh, Methodist mountain and uh, the Sangre de Cristo range. And it's, so it's just gorgeous. It's um, it's a small mountain town where four or 5,000 people maybe Year round residents and the Arkansas River runs right through the middle of town, literally right through the middle of town. Uh, So it's great for outdoor sports. It's great for a relaxed lifestyle. It's great for community feeling, uh, friendly people. Um, And you've got lots of, uh, I mean, 10,000, 14,000 foot peaks out there. I mean, just kind of doppling the area. Yeah, they're they're all they're up and down the valley here. uh, The the 14,000 foot peaks and really accessible for where we are. Yeah, that's awesome. If you're interested in getting high and getting out there, it's easy to do from here. Yes, high in elevation. Yes, high in elevation. Yes, high in elevation. Yeah, Colorado. Yes, there's there's multiple highs there. Absolutely. Yeah, 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 exactly. I would say the same for Northern California. Well, hey, you know, uh, Lou and Louie, we're in a Lou sandwich here. Lou, uh, our, our two of, you know, Louie Selencourt is one of the co-founders and managing partners here. And uh, Lou Naranjo is another one of our colleagues and was our first hire um, and is not on this call, but will be uh, in future future podcasts. And he's just such an additive part of our team. And um, he is, uh, I don't know anybody like Lou. I mean, he speaks multiple languages. He's a fast thinker and a fast talker kind of has this grew up in LA has a financial background and worked as a, I think investment banking for a, for a while, but definitely in the financial services area with Merrill Lynch and um, you know, uh, gotten to startups and has been a part of multiple startups and did a four or five year stint at a healthcare startup that ended up getting acquired. And uh, I think he ended as the uh, VP or SVP of operations. So uh, which is a fancy title and a catch all for like, get done whatever needs to get done for a fast paced startup to grow and get acquired. So he wore just a ton of different hats. And we actually worked with the company that he worked in um, for a couple of years and helped them, you know, through leadership development and strategic offsites and coaching um, and just saw like the, the, the output and the, um, the, uh, you know, volume of work that he could kind of absorb and and take on. I worked with him as his executive coach during that time as well. Um, And then that company got acquired and things just kind of changed, right? The environment, the culture shifted. And um, I was sitting with Louie one day and we're like, you know, I think Lou was maybe open to getting a job. I don't know if he was actively looking or if we were kind of headhunting him, but we did a little matchmaking and brought him in on a project and just kind of slow baked it. But Again, you know, our approach is just bring bright, capable, hardworking problem solvers to the table and you can get a lot of shit done. You can move mountains. And I think in our line of business, breadth matters more than depth. And I say that um, honestly, but you, you have to have depth. You have to be able to have certain verticals of expertise, but the skill set is in being able to like cut across different verticals of expertise and different verticals of business to be able to coach and advise and mentor and support and sometimes push 
these people and these teams to become better. Um, I remember we were working with a company that um, has grown immensely, but uh, we were telling them what we thought our name was going to be. We had kind of landed on better, faster, further. And basically we just said, what is it that we're going to do? Right. Like, like who are we and what's a name? And it's always hard to pick a name because you're looking at the websites and this and that. And we're just like better. We're going to help companies and people be better. Uh, we want them to like move faster. Why? It shouldn't take decades to get from point A to point B. Like we can expedite that whole process with kind of grabbing best practices and, and using coaching and strategies and, and goal setting to really connect the dots. And we want companies to like, A, go further because so many of them flame out. Um, but, but go further in the sense of like being durable, as you know, Adam, the, the high, the peaks and valleys of being a business owner, let alone a founder or a CEO or a COO, or just employee, it's freaking hard work, man. And most people just get beat up and it's not any one event. It's like death by a thousand paper cuts. And you lift your head up one day and you're like, I am smoked. And it's oftentimes because of the people stuff. Sometimes it's, the process, like you, we don't execute well. Um, somebody came and, you know, eat your dog food and, and you didn't move fast enough. There's tons of that. And you have to be like the, the, the organizations that we find that do the best are those that have their processes dialed in 80% or better. And they've got the people stuff dialed in 80% or better. And those, like, if you think about those as kind of circles, the more overlapping those concentric circles are, the higher performing that organization is. And that's really why we double down on, on process and people. Some companies have kick-ass processes they execute and they're freaking horrible places to work and they gobble humans up. Um, and we can name a few of those. And they can be successful companies, but they don't have long tenures of employees. There are other companies that, and this is where Louis' kind of story kicks in. He's like, well, if you do it Regan's way, you're going to have yoga retreats and back scratching and lots of hugs and kisses, but like, you're not going to get anything done. And so, you know, again, taken to an extreme, that's very true. You've got these culture first organizations that over-optimize for that stuff and, and overlook somehow the performance and execution. And so how do you balance that? You know, I would say when we get called into organizations, with a very high degree of confidence, I can say that 60 to 70% of the themes that we see are very consistent across organizations, right? Communication, execution, feedback, support, ownership, accountability, dealing with conflict, setting goals, implementing OKRs, whatever it may be. But that then means that if those are evergreen themes across any organization, hospitals, schools, nonprofits, for-profits, startups, where the rubber meets the road is the nuance that comes with the 30 to 40% that is very focused and unique and dynamic to that particular organization, that particular team in that particular moment. Running a venture-backed startup uh, pre-COVID looked and felt a certain way. Uh, doing it during COVID looked and felt very differently. Doing it after COVID looks and feels very different. Valuations are all over the place. Money flows, money gets turned off. Um, being a publicly traded company, same deal. Like there are, there are levers that are being pulled constantly. And this toggle in the world that we live in now around, you know, office culture, hybrid culture, virtual culture, which one's first? How do we maintain our culture? What is culture? It is so messy and so dynamic. And people wake up every day and they have really good intentions of like, I want to go do my best work. 
but then the realities of the day-to-day they just get cannibalized right and in 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 the in the friction and tensions and dynamics that exist within organizations so that's where we come in we're we you know our team um our crew our bench our 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 partners and our kind of um you know strategic uh consultants and coaches are there to help and so i think you know the thing that really resonates with with me about a lot of the themes that we see. And Adam, this was kind of the initial thrust into this conversation was, you know, sounds cheesy and cliche, but change is the only constant. And the minute you think you got it figured out, you've kind of fallen off the back of the bus and you got to play catch up again. Um, You know, having a clear mission, having good communication, implementing feedback loops, setting challenges, focusing on stretch goals, having a supportive culture and environment, understanding that people are messy. If you knew what was going on in my mind at any given moment, you would have me committed, right? And you throw 10 people into a a team or an organization, all with egos and personalities and conflict styles and communication styles and anxieties and neuroses and health issues and families and people get married and people die and people have good days and bad days. It is shocking to me that we get anything done and accomplished but we do and there are things that that you can do to help expedite and improve that process so it doesn't come with so much drama um and and people are amazing we love people and i think that we love organizations and one thing we 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 believe is that you know between going to work and sleep it's a vast majority of your life and there are people who have committed their entire careers to like sleep and Adam, you, you, you've probably done some research in that realm, just given your, your sleep okay. habits. Yeah. And, and my wife would, would second you there. Um, and then on the other end, we've chosen to do a deep dive on organizational health, organizational wellness, organizational execution and performance, because we believe that by optimizing organizations and teams and leaders, we actually have a pretty profound impact on societies and people day in and day out. And that those impacts create ripple effects that improve people's lives across the board so in some way shape or form by us getting up and getting to go do the work that we do and improving people's lives at work you know um for their people for their companies for their teams we go to bed every night feeling pretty confident that we made a positive dent in the universe by by supporting those people and that's a we take that part very seriously um, so excited to, to continue to share stories in that space. And hopefully it gives folks a little bit of a sense of, you know, who we are and who some of our core team members and we'll start to introduce more and more folks and hopefully get some, some clients and exciting guests and such to be included. But, um, that was kind of the foundational work and the impetus for this, Adam is, um, all of us on our team are into health and wellness in very different ways. You know, I've seen Louie blossom into, a runner and an athlete. And he definitely was not that way in the, in the previous version. When I first met Louie, he was a worker guy. He was a corporate worker dude and he exercised, but it wasn't with the passion and consistency and vigor. It's been really, really cool to see him. And he's been, he's run lots of marathons and half marathons and is totally into it. I mean, he's, he's, as you, as you've seen, he's like consumed with technology and tracking and getting out there and a day without kind of exercising for him is, is really, really difficult. You know, historically me, just, I've been a jack of all trades, kind of master of none and love to do it all, but running and surfing and mountain biking and skiing and snowboarding are just like the things that really drive a lot of my passion and and health and wellness. And even if it's just getting outside and doing some hiking, um, but you've kind of taken it to the next level. And, um, I guess next week, 
um, have kind of a big event coming up that I would say not even uh, 1% of the 1% of the world kind of engage in. So tell us a little bit about A, what is it that's coming up for you next week? And, and then let's kind of double click on kind of the meta theme, not only about how you're approaching it mentally, physically, behaviorally, but like, how do we like, what are the lessons learned from those types of events or, 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 or adventures into kind of life in general for the folks that are a little bit more of a layman? Yeah, for sure. So what's coming up um, for me, as I mentioned earlier, I, I've gotten into to running longer distance trail races over the last, you know, five, seven years or something. And um, what, what I've got coming up next week, actually kicking off on October 7th is the Moab 240. And so that's a 240 mile race um, uh, that starts. Are you, in- how many miles? Well, it's actually 238.1, which I'm pretty happy about because the last 1.9 miles that I don't have to run uh, will feel pretty nice. Um, but it's a, so more or less a 240-mile race that starts and finishes in Moab, Utah. And it's a, it's a trail race, so you, you do a big circumnavigation, and you go over two mountain ranges and through the desert. And, um, you know, all sorts of weather conditions have happened in years gone by. You know, everything from rainstorms to extreme heat to last year, I think they had a big snowstorm. Yeah, I remember uh, that. So you've just, you know, it's, it's more of a, at least the way I'm approaching it is more of an expedition style event versus like a traditional, you know, shorter distance race type event. Um, but I will say there, there's a lot of people in the world that do these things and, and they do bigger things or they do these things over and over again. But for me, this is my first time racing a distance like this. And it's, um, it feels big to me, you know, quite, a, you know, just not long ago, a few years ago, this would have felt impossible to me, uh, especially when you look at all of the things in life that you have going on, all the things you're juggling between family and work and um, whatever else. And, and um, you know, it's amazing what can change, you know, what a shift in perspective can be when you, when you start to open your world, you know, to a world full of possibility versus a world of limited possibility and, and what you can actually accomplish or do. And um, it's taken a team to, to, to get me to the point to stand on the start line uh, from coaches and physical therapists and massage therapists and, and whatnot. But the most important team is my family, my wife, my daughter, and uh, my Australian shepherd, who's done 80% of the training with me. Um, but specifically for my wife and daughter, you know, that they're excited, you know, a little nervous, but excited yeah. about, about this, you know, these events that I like to do and, very supportive, you know, it takes time, you know, and weekends or evenings or early mornings, I've got to get out for sometimes many hours in a row to, to run and train and, and whatnot. Sometimes that's back-to-back days. So it's a commitment, not just by me, but my, my family as well. So it's been a, a pretty remarkable journey to get here um, that I'm, I'm really grateful for. I, so, uh, yeah, go for it. No, I, I, yeah. O- open it up to you. Yeah. I was just, I, you know, a, I've always, Personally, I, 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 I prided myself on like hating to run. So I have that mental narrative in my head. I'm like, dude, run yeah. sucks. Yeah. Uh, I, I used to play a lot of soccer and, and like I would run on the soccer field, but it felt like there was some purpose behind it. But I, I, have, I have come around as well. And um, in a very, very small way, have a, have, a, have a taste of, you know, what it looks like to do something that, you know, on the surface, you're like, wow, that's kind of scary or daunting or hard. And then getting to do that and, 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 and achieving it. Uh, and for me, you know, the distance and the challenges are drastically different than doing 240 miles, um, multi-day, um, trips. But, you know, I, I do think there is kind of like, 
the people in the process. There is a whole physical aspect that is very real. You got to like tune in the physical. And then there's this whole other bucket, which is the mental, right? And it's like, I, 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 from my perspective, the mental is like the hard part, right? You can, you can train and, you know, aside from injuries and things, which are realities for people, um, you know, getting the body to be able to do that, but then kind of tricking and convincing the mind when everything is telling you to shut down, you know, mm-hmm. I would only assume that at like mile 70, it starts to kick in mile, a hundred mile, 180 mile, 200, you like tap into a zone where you almost like get meditative or something about it. And I'm not, I'm not trying to make it sound too meta, but it's like, you got to tap into a whole different plane of mindset to just tell yourself to put one foot in front of the other. So I'm just curious in, in the ones that you've done so far, like, I don't know. How do you rationalize that? And what's that feeling like? And, and, and coming out the other end. Well, you, you mentioned exactly what it is that, that gets you through a few minutes ago um, when you were talking about running on the soccer field, because you felt like there was a purpose there. The, the key, in my opinion, to, to something, it doesn't have to be an ultra marathon. It doesn't have to be going off a, a big waterfall in your kayak. It, it can just be anything in your life that feels really challenging and, you know, scary is developing a purpose to it. And um, people ask me all the time, like, how do you stay motivated or what inspires you? I'm like, it has nothing to do with motivation and inspiration for me. Nothing whatsoever. It's all about purpose, a deeper purpose, not a purpose. Like I'm curious how tough I am. If that's your purpose, forget about it because you know, that's as soon as it gets hard, you're, you're done. It's, it's gotta be something that's really important to you. And you know, ideally something much bigger than you that has a positive impact um, outside of yourself, right? So maybe it's a global impact or maybe it's a family impact or what a community impact, whatever it is. Um, but once you develop that purpose and you have the, you have the, uh, the commitment to that person, that purpose, then it's just the discipline to see it through. And that discipline, if practiced over and over and over again, becomes a habit and it becomes second nature. And so therefore you no longer need inspiration or motivation, or you, you don't look outside and realize that it's snowing or raining or cold or nighttime or whatever. You just like, Oh, I've got, you know, my run to do right now. And off I go. Regardless yeah. of how you feel or how tired you are. Um, but you know, things in the, in the race, it's, it's constant reminders. So like for Moab, I'm doing this without crew and, and uh, without pacers. So in a, in a longer ultra event, you can sometimes have a crew of people support you in the race where they show up at various aid stations and help you with nutrition and hydration and gear and Absolutely. whatever you may need. Or sometimes you may have pacers that meet you at certain places in the race and run with you for a certain period of time. So I don't have that. Um, but what I do have is the ability to send drop bags to myself. So I send these bags packed full of all the things that you may need in a, in a race like this. But what I do is I write myself notes and I put these notes inside every drop bag. So the first thing when I open a drop bag, you know, it could be any time of day. It could be the middle of the night. It could be early in the morning. It could be whatever. Yeah. I pull it out and I read the note because in these things, forget about, you know, you know, your state of mind being, you know, rational or logical. You're, you're kind of out of it, you know, sleep deprivation, what have you. And I read this note. And the first thing on these notes is always reminding me of why I'm here, why I've, why I've signed up to do this, what is important about this and how this may positively impact my life and others going forward. And then there's, of course, the list of the things I need to do to remind myself, but um, that's it. That's I mean, how I get things. I'm envisioning, I, I'm making light of it because I, I, I totally get that and it makes perfect sense. I'm envisioning like the Saturday Night Live skit with Stuart Small and he's like, 
you're smart, you're bright, and people like you. Like you, I'm not, you do your scroll, and you're like, oh yeah, okay, I'm a good person. I forgot. Yeah. What I was, but here I am. Yeah, yeah. I mean, totally. I mean, some of them are, are cheesy, like reminding yourself of what's important. Some are just like, you know, personal notes. Like, look, dude, suck it up. You know, yeah. you chose this, and nothing in life, nothing worth doing in life is easy. So just suck it up. Yeah. You I know. mean, I, I've again told myself, I'm admitting to my blissful ignorance here on this, but I've always like, as an outsider looking in on, on like heavy endurance athletes, I've always felt like these people are trying to work something out. Like there's a, they've got an extra chromosome or missing chromosome, not literally, but like they're, they got daddy issues or mommy issues or like something that they're like grappling with. And, you know, the more you, you, you tap in, it's obvious that that isn't the case, but it's just, there is a, I love what you said about it. If you're looking for motivation to be the inspiration to get something done, you're going to be left standing still a lot, right? There's going to be weather, there's going to be people, there's going to be whatever that's not, you're not going to feel inspired and motivated to go do something. But as you said, to have the the mission at hand and to have the discipline to do it is the secret sauce. And And, and what I also in my own life agree with is that it's so simple but it's so hard to lie to ourselves. Like we are such good liars to ourselves and, and we make excuses and we delay and we avoid and we procrastinate. And if you flip the mindset where it's like, I don't care what time it is. I don't care what the weather is. Like you just go, you do, you be, you write, you journal, you run, you lift, you do whatever it is that is your thing. Um, with a level of consistency, it does become a habit. It becomes like a way of life and, and to be able to push that through. And I have found that for me, having a goal is like having a test. Like if you have a physics test next Wednesday, you can cram the night before or you can train a little bit every day leading up to it and you will live or die with the consequences of the grade of that test, but it's a due date. And for me, having a goal like the Moab 240 on this date, it's like, it's on, right? You're going to show up and you're going to do the best that you can, but it forces you to make a series of small decisions more consistently as opposed to one big decision one time. And I think that is something that is very true in, in life and in business as well. It's, it's not the home run. It's the series of many decisions you make day in and day out. That is the choose your own adventure moment. Exactly. And, get, and getting clear up front about, or, or with the fact that, look, it's not going to go smooth. It's just not going to go smooth. You know, business is not going to go smooth. Life at home is not always going to be smooth. These ultra marathons or training for an ultra marathon is, it's just not always going to go smooth. You know, you're going to have, you know, an injury or something that's sore or out of whack or whatever the case may be. It, and you talked earlier about um, the people that are involved with Better, Faster, Further is, you know, sometimes being generalist, but having the, the ability to go deep when necessary, but also good problem solvers. You know, look, we, we show up to these races and we have a plan. Right. I've got this de very detailed spreadsheet that my coach shared with me. And it's, you know, everything down to how many calories I take in and exactly what those calories are per hour for, you know, however long I'm out there, 75, 85, 95 hours. But the point, important part in this is that the chances of me following that plan or, or that plan being executed to plan is yeah. pretty much zero to less than zero. Right. Yeah. Something is going to, there is going to be a curveball, whether it's with me, with weather, with, you know, the race environment, who knows what, but there is going to be a, a curveball. So how do you show up when that happens? And, and again, back to the beauty of these things is they are a, a fast track into your true character, you know, because when it's in the middle of the night and you're tired and you're hungry, 
and you know your your headlamp goes out and you forgot to bring an extra battery because you're tired and you forgot to grab it at the next aid station like who are you in that moment what are you going to do in that moment what's your self talk like you know look like yeah. sound like feel like you know what 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 happens to you in that moment and then you know how do you how do you want to show up so you know you asked earlier about in like prep the mindset preparation piece and there was there was another athlete who who said something that running ultras is 100% physical and 100% mental and i wish i knew who that was because that's just a great quote um i can't remember but you know the the key for me in these things and in life in general is i don't visualize crossing the finish line you know with my hands over my head and a big smile on my face and like yeah i visualize shit going haywire in the middle of the night, like maybe getting lost or, you know, something happening. So when that moment comes, right. it's not a surprise. You know, if that moment comes, it's not a surprise. It's like, okay, you've been here. You, you, you prepared for this mentally. You, you've prepared for it physically. You've prepared for it mentally. It's what, what are you going to do? Who are yeah. you going to be? And it's almost more important. Who are you going to be versus what are you going to do? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, just the parallels between, life and adversity and business and adversity is like, you know, there's the plans that look good on paper and you go sit in an offsite for three days and set a strategy and get everybody aligned and you kind of set a trajectory, right? And you're like, we're headed north. And then inevitably something comes across your plate that, you know, changes the plans and, and how, if those plans are too complicated or too rigid and shit goes out the window, like that's when people lose it. And that's when companies kind of derail. That's when people get crazy. That's when leaders default to crazy old school behaviors. That's when cultures kind of fall apart. But I, I just love kind of the parallels. And I think we'll, we'll have more discussions on this kind of moving forward on the, on the podcast, but therein lies this huge opportunity and a huge challenge in the same moment. And I think mindset plays such a key, key role in that. And I think, you know, a lot of the things that we coach our our leaders and our executives around is like the mindset so if you can if you can get the mindset shift in place the behaviors can follow sometimes it's opposite like you go with the behavior because it'll 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 create the mindset shift and there's some pattern recognition there but really it's around winning the hearts and minds of people and then driving those those behaviors um afterwards but you know in a 240 mile race i can only imagine there is all the training and all the prep and all the logistics and all the packing the bag and what do you wear and where do you drop the, the drop bags and where do you sleep and when do you sleep and what do you eat? I mean, it's like tons of it. And then there's the moment where the gun goes off and you're in the race and that's just a totally different reality. There's no more, you know, I don't want to say there's no more, but there's no more planning. It's much more in the moment. You're, you're tapped in, you're tuned in, you're around other people. And then that, you know, the pack separates, right? I, I don't know what the right term is, but, I think in some of these, it's like in a bike race, it's the Peloton. Like there's the leaders that kind of break free from, and mm -hmm. like, am I going fast enough? Am I going slow enough? Am I going too fast? And trying to run your own race is mm -hmm. the other thing that I just find fascinating, which is like, you know, if you're trying to win it, that's one thing. If you're trying to finish it, that's another, mm -hmm. but figuring out how to run your own race and, and, and stay ahead of those things. So, yeah, hundred percent. And, you know, one thing that's hard to realize in the moment, but is really powerful when you have an event in, in the past to reflect back on is that oftentimes, I mean, I might even go as far as to say 100% of the time when you have a specific challenge or hardship or something that goes completely wrong, oftentimes 
or 100% of the time, directly next to that is a whole new opportunity. And so like on one hand, your world is ending, but on the other hand, as that world ends, a whole new world is yeah. beginning. Yeah. You know, and, and so just to remember that, you know, in hardship, in challenge, in adversity is usually a place of new opportunity, new growth, new possibility. Yeah. And I, I, I totally agree. And it's when you're in those moments, it's sometimes hard to see the forest through the trees. But uh, totally. I, I think many of us, all of us maybe can can attest in, to that experience in some way, shape or form. And again, I like, you know, we try to surround ourselves at Better, Faster, Further with the people that have the right mindsets and the tenacity and the grit to be critical thinkers, problem solvers, out of the box thinkers, to embrace that adversity. And oftentimes, like yourself, you're, you're like actively seeking it out. Nobody's forcing your hand to go run this 240 mile race. You're like volunteering and, and running it. Um, you know, whether it's a physical activity or a, or a work activity, but you know, I think the one of the lessons that you and I talk about, maybe it's not a lesson, but just a, a lens to view life through is to actually seek out those challenges, like 100%. the ax constantly and to always look for opportunities to be a white belt again in something people kind of strive to become a black belt and then they get comfortable being the expert in whatever. Um, and even for me in the role that I play for the business right now, I absolutely love what I do. I want to continue to do it, but I don't yet, I don't currently get the same butterflies in the stomach and, feel like I'm getting exposed and learning stuff by doing the same things, doing the same offsites, doing the same coaching. Obviously the people are unique and I, I, I will always embrace that, but I'm looking for my next, you know, Moab 240, but, but on the work front and trying to figure out what that is and, and hopefully, you know, honing in on doing things like this, like creating who knows what, if anything will come from starting to, to share this podcast and content and sharing our stories and sharing backgrounds and, um, you know, almost everyone that we work with in some way, shape or form is like, this was awesome. How do mm -hmm. I get more of it? And then, right. you know, you're paying for us to be sitting there with you. It's like, it's, it's not really available. So figuring out what that looks like through books or articles or podcasts or who knows, I think is the commitment that we are trying to make to our community over time as well. So, um, you know, Adam and I decided to pull the trigger on this and record it and put it out there and are very open to, um, you know, the, the, the peaks and valleys that will come from any or all of this. But again, using this even as an example, it's like, we will learn, we will iterate, we will get better. We will get that feedback. We'll actively seek it out. We will sharpen the sword. We will get tighter. We will, you know, blah, blah, blah. But going into it, knowing that that's kind of the plan is already like you've won half the battle right there. Yeah. I mean, if there's a takeaway maybe for, for this conversation, um, you know, a, a great takeaway may, may be for people do something hard or do something uncomfortable every single day. Start to practice that ability to become more comfortable within an uncomfortable situation. Yeah. Right. Just embrace Seek out it. comfort in some Seek ways. Out. It sounds, it's, it sounds counterintuitive, but you don't get better. You don't get smarter. You don't get, you don't grow doing the same things over and over and over again. In fact, it's the opposite. You get stale, you get tired, you get complacent, you get lazy, you get, you, 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 you die <laughs> over yeah. time, right? Physically and mentally, you've got to keep challenging yourself in ways. So you bet. And there's, there's no perfect time to, to execute or do anything in business and life and in sports and whatever. It's just something will always be not perfect.
Yeah. There's a million okay. reasons not to do stuff, right? You yep. can come, I mean, I could tell you a million reasons why we shouldn't do the podcast or can't do it or life or busy or can't go do this thing, but there's usually very few reasons to do things. And those are the ones that matter. And I think kind of coming full circle to what you said in the beginning was like having a goal, having a purpose, having a mission mm-hmm. is the beacon on the hill that when you get lost, when you get spun around, if that flashes once every 15 seconds, you're like, Oh yeah. Like, mm-hmm. That's why I'm doing this. Like, that's the person I care about. That's the objective. That's the mission. That's the goal that I'm trying to achieve. And it's meaningful in a way that is going to motivate and incentivize me to dig in, in spite of not having the motivation to do it. Right. That's what we call discipline. That is that is the discipline, and it's an inspiration, for lack of a better term, that comes from the the rationale and the purpose of that mission. That's so key. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it's all internal, right? It's all internally driven, which is nice. And And I think way way more powerful. Totally. And in organizations, I think if you're the founder or a leader or even a manager in an organization, the more that you understand like the psychology of human dynamics and the psychology of discipline and motivation and engagement, it's not about surveys and it's not about you know, values mapping on with words on posters, you got to tap into the core of what motivates human beings. And it's being a part of something bigger than yourself, having goals that are seemingly attainable, they may be daunting and scary, but like, it incentivizes people to want to achieve. So having that goal internalization, where like the, 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 the goals of the company align with the goals of the individuals makes that very, very sticky. And then to offer the kind of support and the connective tissue to help, you know, hold people accountable in meaningful ways that aren't like a traffic cop. Nobody wants to be a traffic cop writing tickets and nobody wants to receive that ticket either. But finding ways to intrinsically engage your people in trying hard things and, and taking risks and getting comfortable with failure. You got to make failure your buddy, right? You got to be able to look yourself in the eye and be like, man, I really screwed that thing up. But... I'm going to try it again in a different way. I'm going to take those lessons learned and apply it in, in new ways moving forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, the, the, the accountability and the fe- maybe fear of failure uh, or fear of conflict as well um, has been, have been common themes within some of the teams that we work with through, through better, faster, further and, and working with people um, around account- how to develop accountability structures or accountability practices and get comfortable with failure and actually seeing failure as a, as a tool for improvement and growth. And, and um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's really profound to watch, you know, from the sideline or, or um, to watch these teams start for these things start to click, you know, and to start, they start to realize, Oh, wait a second. You know, if we try something and it doesn't work out for whatever reason, you know, the, the magic isn't in the thing working out. The magic is in the thing not working out and what you do with that knowledge and that experience for the next thing that's even bigger, even greater with a much larger impact. Totally. It's so fun to, to step back and watch these light bulbs go off and people yeah. actually step out of their, you know, comfort zone and, and, and do these things. Right. That's the best part of our jobs. I think like that's the part that really gets me motivated every day. It's just like when you see, people or teams or leaders or companies like get it make the switch and be like oh like there's opportunity in the failure right there's possibility in the failure and it's not always about failing like sometimes you do it and it works and you're like how do we do that more 
Uh, right. But it really kind of comes back full circle to just really what we're trying to do. We're trying to help people and teams and companies, you know, be better, um, move faster and go further in life. And I think that holds true. We, we hold that kind of, I don't know the word sacred to, uh, to the folks on our team as well. So I, I love that we continue to set personal goals and challenge each other and share kind of our, our successes and, and uh, challenges along the way. But um, well, Adam, maybe this is awesome. And I feel like we're just scratching the tip of the iceberg here on, on kind of future conversations and stuff. So it'll be interesting kind of where we pick up, but maybe just in closing, help us understand like, what is, what, what's the story for next week? And then maybe we can kind of shoot to do round two of this after you get back from the lab. Cause I'm sure you'll have some more stories to tell and some, some stuff that <laughs> folks would love to hear. You bet. Yeah, no doubt about it. So uh, the plan now is I, just this morning, I finished my last sort of like structured um, workout, you know, some, some hill work and, um, you know, now it's, it, I've been tapering for the last four or five days, but now it's like full taper where it's really focused on rest and recovery and, and whatnot. But uh, if I took my laptop and, and, you know, pointed the camera at the floor of my office, you would see gear everywhere. You know, it looks like I'm going on an Everest expedition or something. It's amazing what you need to go run a race like this. Um, so I'm in the process of finalizing drop bags and packing gear. And, uh, I leave from Moab a week from today. Uh, so I'll be there a couple of days early and, um, you know, really the process to look, it's about, um, it's a, it's a celebration of the work that I've put in to get here. You know, this is a, this is a moment to, or these will be moments to just fully celebrate that I had the, the courage to, to, to sign up for something like this, to ask for help, to get it done and and to just enjoy the process you know the, the focus is not on the outcome of the race the focus is on my big why my purpose and to be the best version i know it sounds cheesy but to be the best version of myself that i can be out on the course and that's it and to let go of the rest um we have a mutual friend um chad and chad last year before my last big race he sent me a text that just said succumb to the flow and i remember that text now before every single race that i do and i, I just love it i mean it's it's just so much outside of your control. So it's really focused on the things that you control and just settle into it, right? Just awesome. Just, yeah, relax into the process. I love it, man. Well, uh, we wish you collectively the best next week and uh, super stoked. We'll be tracking you um, in some way, shape, or form, I'm sure. Um, for folks that want to, uh, learn more about that race and or track you like how, how, how do they do that so destination trails is the uh, race organization that has done a spectacular job of putting on they do uh, three big 200 mile races but uh, they organize the moab 240 uh, you can find it by googling destination trails or just if you google moab 240 the race website will come up from there you can read all about the course you can see photos watch videos what have you but there's also a live tracking so every, every runner is required to carry a GPS tracker uh, for right. safety reasons. So we'll all have GPS trackers on. So the race headquarters can monitor, excuse me, monitor our progress as we, as we go down the course. That way, if anything happens, they'll know um, to send out a search team. Uh, but you can track uh, all, we, you can track all of the runners or a specific runner from, from that tracking link that's found right on the homepage of the website. Um, Look, it's a long race. There's a 113 hour cutoff time. So don't feel like you need to be glued to your computer checking every 10 minutes because it's not like a NASCAR race. <laughs> yeah, this is not a NASCAR race. You know, progress will be slow. Like you might check on Friday, maybe again, Saturday afternoon, and then, you know, maybe right. again, Sunday night. Um, but yeah, that's how, that's the way, that's the place to go to find out everything. 
That's awesome. Well, hey, man, I am uh, both impressed and stoked uh, for you. And uh, we'll definitely be cheering uh, for you from the sidelines here. But um, I know I speak for Louie and Lou and the rest of the Better Faster Further team. Like, we're super proud of you and super stoked no matter what the outcome is. But um, tomorrow or next week is, is a big week for you. And uh, why don't you and I commit to picking this back up, hopefully with the other comrades in arms um, joining, the, joining that next pod. But um, when you get back. So um, yeah. just closing thoughts are, are give it hell. So come to the flow, as you say, and um, looking forward to the flip side, my man. Yeah, right on, Regan. Thanks. Um, awesome, awesome conversation today. I really enjoyed it. You got it. The first of many, my friend. And uh, we'll pick up then. Good luck in the race. Okay, thanks. Take care.